Oh shit, I wasn't recording. One, two, two, three. three. What okay. a mess. Um, are we ready to do this, Jess? I'm going to play the theme song. See what happens. So it begins. Pretty soon I'm going to be famous. A little more famous than you. Certain people will greet my name with a proud and mighty Boo! And one glorious day my songs will be played at an airport chili's too. Why, yes, I'm gonna be famous, and you can be famous too. Wow. Look at that. <laughs> wow. Welcome. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to episode two of Famish. Uh, my name is Jesse. I don't usually get a microphone, so this is already a strange start to a strange experiment. And I'm sitting here with my bandmates. We got Ben Thornwell. Hi, everybody. I'm Ben Thornwell. <laughs> we got Tommy Siegel. Hi, everyone. I'm Ben Thornwell. Uh, <laughs> Damn it. I was going to do the same thing. <laughs> And we have a special guest. Greg, you're guest. not in this yet. Yeah. Uh, you're not. You, we haven't welcomed you. <laughs> we have you. a uh, special guest who isn't allowed to talk yet. Um, so the premise of this thing is uh, we're touring musicians. We've been touring musicians for a while. And we're going to try to not make this about us too much. And we're going to be inviting our friends on to talk about what it's like to be famous. There you have it. Um, and a lot of you might not know our band, our little band called Jukebox the Ghost. But uh, we've been playing shows for a while. And we thought... We're famous. We thought, you know, we're three white men yelling at each other. Should probably make a podcast. <laughs> Why? That's, that's <laughs> well said. That makes, that feels cringy. Height of rudeness. But, you know, but uh, yeah, this is about sort of being... Some people know us and most people don't. And that's going to be the case with most of the people that we convinced to get on this uh, on this little pod because being famous is just that. Some people know you and, well, most people don't. Hey, that's do exciting. We, that? we, we, we've talked about having a podcast for a long time and, and we've finally gotten around to doing it. I feel like we talked about it like four years ago. We've been talking about it for, I mean, one of our best and most um, underutilized skills is ruining interviewers' lives. So I feel like we have a lot of um, experience derailing conversations and and saying things that make everybody cringe. Way to knock that one out of the park, Jesse. And uh, you know, and I, we just thought we would turn the tables a little bit and get our friends on here and make make them uncomfortable. And uh, you know, one might ask, what's our credibility? And well, because this is a podcast, we don't need to have any. But we've been in the music business for a damn long time. Damn it, and. Uh, we're here to complain about it. So I want to introduce our first guest, our lab rat, Mr. Greg Holden. He's a uh, longtime friend of the band. Introduce yourself. Hi. <laughs> Hello. My name is Greg Holden. Jess, you want to give? A, are you giving a, a full introduction, or are we just going to let him let him at it? <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah, is it going to? You going to say some nice things about me, or am I just? Is it now? Is it? Is the microphone on me? I'll say some nice things about you, and then I might hand it over to your uh, literal best friend, the singer of our band, Van Thornwell. Uh, Greg has been a tour mate of Jukebox the Ghost. He's been a co-writer on quite a few songs, some of them on our record, some of them not. He also has had a lot of success writing for other folks and 
releasing his own albums and uh well yeah, why don't i take over greg greg and i have been friends for a long time and we became friends i i met greg uh like the d- first day you got to america i don't know if you all can tell from his accent it's actually real even though it sounds fake now uh but he's from england <laughs> and and moved moved to america to you know pursue a better life um and all that and and he had just uh he was on tour with um Ingrid Michaelson. Uh, I don't know how long you'd lived in the States at that point, but uh, we met backstage. I think it'd been a couple months, yeah, so maybe. Not, not long. I, I still... So we, we met backstage and started chit-chatting and uh, seemed to like each other well enough. I still have you saved in my phone as Greg Holden, Ingrid Michaelson tour um, <laughs> to differentiate you from all the other Greg Holdens in my life. Um, <laughs> That's ridiculous. And then... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Fast forward uh, some years later, and, and we reconnected in New York, and uh, I don't know. We we met at some party, and then went out to dinner, and you had some like big stuff happening in your life, and and then we wrote a song, and and now and then you were best man at my wedding, and here we are. Yeah, this life, man. Life's just coming at us every single day. Does that feel accurate? We just keep making the show up as we go along. I'm very glad. I'm very glad to be friends with you. And all of you. I think I like Jesse the best anyway. Everyone likes Jesse the best. <laughs> I'm the least qualified to do this. So I'm going to play one of your songs now, or I'm going to play a clip from it. So in 2019, Sick. Greg Holden released uh, World War Me, your third studio record, right? Correct. I recorded this. This was the first record I did my, by myself. I recorded this all alone. <laughs> Except I think this song that you're about to play. <laughs> right on. That's why it sounds so good. Shit. <laughs> Now that you're on my side I know there's something about this I know there's something about this And I am lucky that you stuck around I'll do it right this time Baby, I am sorry For the things I've done For the things I've done I know it wasn't great tune. Greg, I got I got to ask. Like one, it's a great tune, but that's not what I want to talk about. How do you feel when when you're forced to listen to your own music? Cuz I know for me when that happens, I'm just like filled with this like anxiety and doubt and I start listening to it critically and I kind of want to curl up in a ball and and disappear. Uh but maybe that's just me. That's like 90% accurate. You know, most of the time that is the feeling I get. I just want to crawl into the corner and put a blanket over myself when other people are listening. But every now and again, I'm like, God damn it, I'm awesome. Oh, just every now and again, huh? Just uh, just so rare. Well, I think every now and again, like (laughs) one one out of a hundred, I'm like, wow, I'm really good at this. But usually it's like, I hate myself. I, I think everyone can relate to the feeling that musicians get if they hear their own voicemail. I think that's like a pretty close feeling to it because you just like hear it and you're like is that what my voice sounds like yeah you know holy shnikes <laughs> <laughs> thanks jess <laughs> thanks jesse <laughs> when, when was the last time when was the last time you like you listened to like something that you had made or done and you were like that's awesome do you have that like on file yesterday yesterday yeah what was it 
There's a song that I wrote with a couple of people from LA who were up in Portland a few weeks ago. Like a new tune? We just recorded it and yeah, and I thought it was great. Yeah. You know, the thing is, if I, if I still thought I was really bad at this, I don't think I'd be doing it anymore. I mean, I'm on the verge of not doing it anymore <laughs> as it is. But like, you know, it, I think it's important to feel good about what you do and celebrate it. Usually I'll just crank it in my car and drive around and pat myself on the back a little bit. I feel like you have to. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with I don't think there's anything wrong with well, that. I, think if, I, I beat myself up for 20 years. I, don't, I, I think it... I think those days are over. I'm not going to beat myself up anymore. I feel like if you don't, if you don't feel that way, like if you don't have those little, like, you know, boosts of serotonin or whatever, it's not, you know, you got to reevaluate. Totally. I do think, like, as as I don't know if you've had this experience, but the longer you do it, the more you're like entrenched in the industry and entrenched in the songwriting. Like, you have to really find those moments. Like when you're young, everything you write is like the most exciting thing you've ever written. Yeah. And then you've written every chord that you know and in every order you know, and you've got to like find new ways to. Well, I only know five chords, so I I ran out of those things a long time ago. <laughs> but that's part <laughs> of that's part of your chords. It, that's part of your thing, though. Like part of your charm, like you, like like you're the you're getting, you're in the Tom Petty uh, school of of songwriting, right? Absolutely. Yeah, keep it as simple as possible, because that's all the talent that I have. Well, that's absolutely true. I was going to argue, and then I yeah. took a minute. <laughs> you're writing, uh, you write a lot of songs about yourself these days, but when we first like uh, started hanging out, I feel like all of your songs were kind of political, or they were at least had sort of a social, cultural um, kind of mission or a message. Yeah, they did, and I, you know, sometimes, sometimes they still do. You kind of, I feel like you kind of hate writing about yourself sometimes. Or is that a false statement? For a long time, I, I did. No, it's not false. It, it, it was, I went through a period of hating writing about myself. And that was a huge part of my career. Then I realized I was just projecting all my shit onto other characters. You know, it was, it was just, right. I was using other people as a way to speak about things that I was angry about. And then eventually it got to a point where I was like, I don't know what these guys are going through. What, who am I to? I'm going to throw my bandmate Tommy under the bus here and... Most of his first, most of his early songs with the band are all about the end of the world, and they're fucking great. It's like, bro, are you okay? All your songs are about the end of the world. <laughs> I get that question oh, a lot. Thanks. I get that question a lot. Are you okay? <laughs> That's usually what. Usually, it's from Ben. <laughs> I'm very, wor- I'm very worried about you and in, in general. No, no, no. But I, I know I learned at a young age how to like ask the questions that make people feel good. <laughs> so I've got a list. You know, how are you? Are you okay? Uh, what'd you have for breakfast? But you know, it's a practiced affect. Well, there, there's a style of writing that Greg, I know you've done a lot of, and um, maybe are not doing as much of right now. Which I'm, uh, for our listeners, there's this whole scene, particularly in Los Angeles, but a little bit in New York and Nashville as well. Um, that I guess, what would you call it, the co-writing scene? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I'd call it the the this this. I mean, it's the majority of the songwriting scene, isn't it? It's the pop, the pop, the pop chases, the hit chases. Let's call them the hit chases. Yes, yeah, I guess it is this, just the songwriting scene at this point. But basically, how it works for those who don't know, you show up and through your music publisher or your management, they will often set you up on a, a musical blind date of sorts, where um, you're showing up to write a song with a producer and maybe another songwriter, maybe a lyricist. There could be like four people in the room or just two people. And you basically get coffee, get to know that person, and then jump right into writing a song. And you kind of have to finish it by the end of the day. 
I know you did a lot of that. Are you glad to be doing less of it now? 100%. Yeah. It's, it's a, I think if you're an emotional person or you sort of like human connections in a very real way, it's very difficult to do that every day with different people because what's well, exhausting because you're trying to pour yourself into this interaction and, and, and then in five hours it's over anyway and you never see that person again, you know? So do you have a nightmare one that you remember off the top of your head? 99% of them. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. That's a, yeah. that can't be true. In all fairness, you and I wrote a couple and they, you know, I, we wrote, we, it was interpersonally a nightmare, but it came out. Okay. We wrote the great unknown, uh, together. That's a jukebox tune. That's a great day. Um, and then we wrote a great song for your record that you never recorded for no good reason, but the world should hear. <laughs> Thanks for that. Way to return that favor. Uh, we, you also rec- you also did a song together called "The Only Way Out," which um, we were actually as a band texting about like literally two it. weeks ago. Like we should finally record that one. It's about ten years old now, I guess, but um, I love that one. I like that song. Good song. That yeah. song is so good. It always uh, reminded me of Meatloaf. The goat. R.I.P. <laughs> Every song that Ben does reminds me of Meatloaf. Thank you. <laughs> In reality, though, you know, it's not 99%. I shouldn't say that. Most of them are pretty awkward, though, you know, at least for the first few hours. I mean, I'd, I've probably had a couple of horror ones where I've had to just walk out, or the song's been so bad where I've just, you know. Well, it's funny, Greg. I've had to stand up and say, hey, I'm not really into this. I'm going to go. You know, yeah. and then. That you know that usually doesn't end well, and half the time for me it always ends in the person that I was in the room with becoming a huge star, and I totally fucked my career <laughs> up. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. Anybody you can think of off the top of your head, or just... yeah, but not that I can say out loud. Uh, okay, okay, okay. But in all fairness, great. You've actually like you've had a lot of wins. Like you know the 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 co writing game, the the hustle is. It, I mean, it, it's a rat race because every day in LA, I, th- I think I heard the stat, but this is years ago, so I'm sure it's even more. There, you know, five thousand songs get written every single day in in, in LA, and and every time I remember when I started, everyone would be like, "We should write for Rihanna." Like, I wrote so many songs, quote unquote, <laughs> for Rihanna, which is insane. But like you, yeah. you know, uh, uh, you've had one huge, huge, huge hit that came of it, and then a couple other like you know, you've had multiple wins, songs that. You know, song credits or songs in the movies or stuff for you or or sings. Mm-hmm. So like you obviously like know you have your finger on some pulse. Like you know what you're doing. You are good at it. But I guess from yeah. a, an emotional standpoint, it's like not worth the grind. Yeah. Uh, yes, in a way. Yeah. I'm very. I'm also a very self-destructive person. Like I don't. I don't really allow myself to succeed the way I probably could because I, for whatever reason, I get in my own way. Yes, I have definitely had a. Uh, more success than a lot of people that I know. And that is no, it's, it's not any sort of proof of more talent. It's just a case of being in the right place at the right time. And I'm grateful for those moments. You know, I wouldn't have a, I wouldn't have a roof over my head if it weren't for those moments. You know, it's funny. I give, I give, I give the industry a lot of shit, but I have to thank it as well. For those I feel things. like part of when you and I first had like dinner and connected home. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Greg wrote the song home, which became, uh, it was a song of his and then it got picked up by an artist named Philip Phillips. And now it's on every, um, Kia Sorenta car commercial for the last 12 years. But like when, when we when we got like together, you like when we became friends, I think that had just gone off for you. And so I feel like yeah. am, am I wrong? Like there's a before and after in your career, right? Like 
Definitely. You, in the way that we all do, were like the hustling, struggling, like, you know, where's the, how am I going to make a living? Is this ridiculous? Um, that sort of a singer-songwriter path, and then the song hits, and things changed. Like, what was that like? What was that transition like? Uh, it was, you know, what's funny is like, I kind of, in a weird way, I didn't really notice as it was happening. I mean, of course I noticed, but it was like a, because it was happening at the time, I wasn't able to look back on it yet. Yeah. I think now I'm able to look back on it a bit more, but at the time it was just kind of crazy because, you know, you, when you're a songwriter, you dream of having a number one song and all of a sudden it's happening and I'm getting in a cab and it's on, on in the cab and I'm getting in a bar and it's on in the bar. And then I, you know, everywhere I go, this fucking song is playing. <laughs> it's like a it's a surreal it's kind of surreal it's surreal because you're thinking wow this is crazy this is working and 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 the before scene is like yeah like you said struggling sort of angry at the industry but there's a fire there there's like a drive to 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 succeed and you and there's a naivety still that's like oh my god i'm gonna be a huge star i'm just gonna work really hard and get it and then and then you get it and i also got it in a weird way because i was behind the scenes technically you know i was a songwriter so it wasn't like i wasn't the one touring or doing all the press i was behind the scenes in that sense it was great because i got some paychecks that changed my life you know and meant that i didn't have to freak out about money every time anything happened that was remotely expensive and that was life-changing. It was. I mean, I, I, I thank it every single day. I thank that song every day because I, you know, I have a good life because of it. But in the, the negative side of that is all that drive, all that fire, if you're not a certain kind of person, just goes away. <laughs> like for me, when I, when I made enough money to pay my bills and stuff, and then I had this song, all of a sudden I, I just fucked off to India on a meditation retreat because I didn't want to be in the music industry anymore. And I've always been fighting that that i've been trying to get out of this industry for 10 years (laughs) and it is and i can't and i don't know why i don't know why i want to get out well i think it says a lot about your your skills that um most people have a pretty easy time leaving this industry so uh, it's 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 a sign of your talent that you keep getting sucked back in you know i guess guess so i I guess it's you know i've made some amazing friends in this industry so if i left where would i go man (laughs) But it's, it's funny in the spirit of like what this podcast is about, right? It's about being fame-ish, and like you got a piece of of fame that is very specific. You know, you got the number one song without the recognition beyond your immediate peers, right? I sat in Barclays Stadium and watched Philip Phillips play "Home" in front of like how many people were in that venue? Like twenty thousand yeah. or something. Yeah, and. He played that song and the entire venue stood up and started singing it. And I was sitting there <laughs> in a seat, you know, just fame-ish. Like my song yeah. is being sung by 20,000 people right now. And I'm sitting in this chair and not, no one I know, has a clue. Did you ever get to watch like an interview with Philip Phillips where he was like, where they asked him like, you know, what was it like writing the song home? And he was like, oh, when I wrote it, it was, you know. Well, he made the mistake of just right out of the gates from when he won American Idol to saying that he didn't write that song and it wasn't his and it's not a single and he wants nothing to do with it. Like the day after he won American Idol. Wow. So, I mean, he, everybody already knew that he didn't write that, <laughs> which was great because then actually everybody was like, well, who did write it? Right. And then I ended up getting a bunch of press that I didn't expect to get, which was nice for my actual artist career. That's awesome. It's funny. There, there's an element, though, like you and I have had a lot of conversations where I think we're both we both have this like hopefully healthy envy of each other's careers. Like like I wish, you know, I, I wish like we had written the life changing song 
And but in our process of doing that, we have built up this like incredibly loyal fan base where we can go to any city and play for play for fans. And that's the piece of the puzzle. You got the number one song, but have like worked and struggled to find that like that fan base of people that connect the dots, right? And I feel like yeah, for, 100%. for so many musicians, like especially work like the the quote unquote working class musicians, you find a lane that works. And then just keep trying to find other paths, right? Like, how, how do I get that fan base? Or how do I write that number one song? Or how do I get a song in a commercial? Or whatever it happens to be. And it's just like, there are so many ways to survive and have success and define success. And even when you get that success, there are so many other benchmarks, which are like, well, I wish I had that. Why don't I have this? Or yeah, And, and that's like, it's so, I don't know. It's just such this human nature endless search for whatever is next you know i mean when i started being a musician my dream was to have what you guys have you know my dream was to go on tour and have a thousand people that 500 people that 1500 people that i don't think in my entire career apart from one little blip i brought more than 150 people to my shows you know like it's it's just that for whatever reason there was always a ceiling there that never it never expanded and whether that was poor management me being shit but but i always wanted that and the grass so the grass is always greener on the other side but it's so interesting because clearly your music transcends that right yeah like, you've seen it happen and it's, it was frustrating it was frustrating actually because i'm like what am i doing wrong i mean i've got i really think like there, the songs i got the label there is no wrong it's like because it's not like you just wrote home and then that was it like like boys in the street has done incredibly well or you've had songs that for you like what uh like what song just made it on the or you reposted like the obama end of year playlist no that was home that, oh wait okay <laughs> there you go yeah. <laughs> edit 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 i'm a one hit wonder oh no sad trombone oh god let's do this oh yeah, but I have had. I mean, I had the Lost Boy that kicked off in two thousand. That's what I meant. Eleven. That was the number one song in Europe. I had Boys in the Street, which you know was critically acclaimed. I guess you can call it a critically acclaimed song. Maybe I was thinking of like, didn't Tom Hanks rep Boys in the Street? Tom or? Hanks called Boys in the Street perfect, the perfect song. Yeah, which was crazy. You know, he's my favorite. He's my favorite actor. He's my favorite actor. And I woke up one day and there was a tweet of him posting my song, saying, "This is a perfect song." That's crazy. It's awesome. I um I actually want to play a clip of that song and then you know this one I was trying to find the right clip because it's such a there's such a narrative arc in this song and it's kind of awkward just playing a little bit of it you know yeah so why don't I play a little and then maybe you can just tell the audience what inspired it but he still won't hug me like my brother and he still won't kiss me like my mother He'd say, you were part of this family I made you myself But the way that you act isn't good for your health, my son Stop kissing boys in the street My son Stop kissing boys in the street That song's too much, dude. 
It's a lot. Like, I mean, that my song makes me emotional. It's, too <laughs> you know? it's weird. It's weird. I, I don't, I barely remember writing that song. I wrote it in like 15 minutes in my studio in Brooklyn. And it just, I don't know, man. It makes me cry every time I hear it. Yeah. And I, I'm the one who fucking wrote yeah. it. You know, it's just a weird, it's one of those weird songs that, one of those weird songs that just i don't know it just came out of nowhere and i don't really know how i wrote it because i think it's an amazing song and i you know i don't say that a lot a lot about my songs i would never say that about many of them but i truly believe that is my masterpiece that i don't think i'll ever i don't think i'll ever do better than that i for what it's worth i don't i don't think you'll ever write anything better than that either um No, it's it's it is it is a perfect song though it, I would really i'd put money on it no it is a perfect song and i think <laughs> You know, most people never get to write a perfect song. I think you've wrote a couple perfect songs, and that one is like we, you know, we've we've that. we've played shows together, um, both as solo artists and and you've toured with us as a band. And whenever you play that song, even before people know what's happening, and this is what's really cool about it, before like people like get into the narrative and and start to to hear what you're actually you know talking about, it's like a you know it's a coming out story and it's a a parent redemption and it's it's growing up in pain and, and abuse and it's really heavy before any of that is known the place to get silent and that's that's one of these crazy things about music like there's something in that song before you know what's happening that expresses like the gravity of it and and yeah that, it's weird that's a really special that's that like lightning strike you know chills on the arm inexplicable nature of of music and and you you got it with that one thanks man i appreciate that i do you know so are you, do you, no are you ever gonna write a, a fun song or or are you just gonna <laughs> hide of rudeness i don't think i have it in me i try <laughs> i tried with you many times yeah, that's true <laughs> i don't think i can do it i really don't think i can do it it's weird i take musically i take music very seriously um too seriously, probably, and I it just for for me, I have a hard time writing songs that aren't heavy in meaning, and you know, I try and I do. Have you considered writing a song about baseball? Let's play ball, it's game day. We want strikeouts, base hits, double plays. I have, I have. <laughs> did you write that <laughs> song? You did you ruined, write? Did you write that you for Scott Stapp? Ruined the, you ruined the whole concept of my next album that I'm making. Man, you took an album with Scott Stapp. Who did? You did. You did. A what? You are. That was you did. That was a what? that was a Scott Stapp <laughs> song, ghost written by Greg Holden. I don't know what that is. Scott Stapp wrote Scott a Stapp, is. Stapp. How do you say his last name? Stapp. Scott Stapp. Yeah, he With wrote a F? song for the Marlins. Is there a secret? Is there a, is there a silent F there? Is it Stapp? I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's not like a Stapp infection. Okay. That's what you're saying. It makes me feel like a Stapp infection. Well, I successfully derailed uh, the no, moment. It's, it's good. He's the lead singer of. <laughs> Nickelback. A diving catch, a stolen base. <laughs> so he wrote this song for the Florida Marlins, which is a uh, baseball team in Florida. Oh. And it yeah. is. It's like cricket. Yeah, it's like cricket. Uh, I love that song. I like. I have this weird relationship with bad music sometimes where that's like undeniably just. It's not good. But I've. I enjoy it so much that I've grown to not know the difference. And that applies to a lot of music for me. Tommy, you're going to have to send me more because these samples are going to get old. <laughs> yeah, I'll send you some uh, new Van Morrison. We can. Have you got my? <laughs> I think it might be time for our first tour stories. 
How do we feel about this? Yeah, I think we should do our first segment. Um, we're going to play a song, and then we're going to ask you a question. Oh, shit. This is our first segment. This is Tour Stories. Tour Stories. You're on an endless highway Heading into Ohio You hear the chilling whisper Of Ira Glass on the radio We have uh, stories today about Unpredictable kinds of things that can happen It's three hours past midnight You shiver as you realize your fate on this never-ending tour, there's no exit And you regret the slimy, scary, hairy, greasy free wrap truck stop sausage biscuit thing you ate Tour Story Welcome to... That's exceptional. Thank you. Welcome to Tour Stories. This is, a, this is an open space where you can tell us um, something horrible uh, that's happened to you on the road or at a show or... Anywhere. And if you don't have one, I, I can help you out on this one. I mean, touring is a nightmare. Explain. It's the whole thing. Tell, tell us why. <laughs> no, really. Like, for the listeners, well, for people that, you know, because people think tour is like the greatest thing ever. Well, break their hearts. Here's the thing I got really spoiled when I first came to America. Like, my first tour was opening for Ingrid Michaelson, and I was on her tour bus, and we were playing incredible theaters all across the country. That was my first tour that set off <laughs> that set a horrible bar let's say because the next tour i was in a ford focus driving across the country by myself <laughs> samsonite i was way off <laughs> <laughs> jesse's the only person who remembers ace ventura 2 he quotes. really cares about oh, ace God. ventura 2 it's... that was dumb and dumber oh right oh really yeah, it was i knew that if anyone uh has suggestions for better samples you can go ahead and email us at famishpod at gmail.com f-a-m-e-i-s-h pod at gmail.com uh tell us what kind of samples you want to hear on the show definitely worth interrupting greg for (laughs) thanks jesse go on with the torah stories i mean I don't know if I have a specific one. I just, you know, I've got memories of driving 17 hours from Seattle to Texas to a show where there was three people. Yeah. You know, and you're like, wow, this is, this. I'm living. This is great. You, that was totally worth the $500 in gas money and the fuck. <laughs> do you remember the, uh, we, we, on the tour that we did, um, we had, I believe, just made it out of Nashville uh, ahead of a like a blizzard that it hit, but like oh, yeah, and 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 time and mind, we were playing in in Birmingham, um, and it was a, a very small show. I mean, I, I think this is one of the, I don't know, like a Tuesday night, seventy people, um, maybe a hundred people, but you know, not a big show. But they let you stay. Big night for me. Big night. For, you're, you're biggest. You're one of the most important. I think that's my biggest show. Shows of all time. Yeah. Uh, but they let you stay. They had like a, a sleeping quarters. Uh, behind the stage remember like there's a whole like world back there where you can sleep and and we were like three days into this tour and well one i remember during the tour i think you got pretty drunk and just heckled the entire time do you remember that one time i did that no 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 but this was like this this was a lot this was a lot because it was like i definitely pushed it i remember waking up the next day and being like wow i think (laughs) i think maybe i crossed the line (laughs) was that orlando (laughs) no that was in alabama 
No, he never he did it the whole tour, but in this one, like one, I think you were pretty liquored up. Two, you were one of the only people in the audience. So it was like very personal <laughs> and very loud. Yeah. Um anyway, I just want everyone to know that you're a bad person. Your tour your tour horror story involves me. No, it's yeah, it does. <laughs> oh. But I I have this you know, I don't have a specific one. I will say I don't have a specific one. I've had Incredible tours, and I've had shitty tours. So we'll redo this episode, you know, at your convenience. <laughs> Maybe uh, you can fucking think of something before you come on. That'd be awesome. Yeah, no, it's true. We only gave you like four days of, of heads up on that on that bit. You know, so. and I had anxiety about it for four days. I was like, what am I going to say? What am I going to... I can't think of anything. I mean, I'm sure I'll get off this thing and be like, oh, fuck. I totally remember Wait. that time that I was, you know, touched. <laughs> I just think because I, you know what I think because we've played so many really difficult shows that it just feels like everyone had to go through that and it's very possible yeah that no you don't have to like spend an entire year sleeping on floors and playing for four people we used to say that uh, to play a show you have to have quorum which is the number of people in the audience uh, the number of people in the audience which is the number of people in the band plus one so as long as we could play for four people we felt good and that was real. <laughs> I played a show in Philly once um, where I canceled. I was told it was uh, a good opportunity for this, you know, thing. I don't fucking know. I've heard it all before. Um, but I canceled a couple of things and rented a car and drove down to Philly to play this venue. And I and actually had moved like a trip to go see my family in Europe to play this show. And I played for the sound guy. Oh. Like, <laughs> like he, he literally, he was like, you have to go on now. And I was like, there's, dude, there's no one in the venue. <laughs> <laughs> not one person <laughs> and he's like well time to go on stage man you know so i got on stage and i was like hello hello <laughs> philly <laughs> I, played, I played i think i played one and a half songs and was like fuck this and i just left i got in my car and went home <sighs> honestly oh. greg that story is great in its simplicity and every artist hopefully has at least gotten close to that like we've played for five people I don't know what our minimum is, but we've come close to zero. You remember our first our first big DC gig at the Grog and Tankard? Of course. None of our friends could get in? Yeah, we, we had booked this show because, you know, the uh, uh, at this club, that was where the band Vertical Horizon broke. Speaking of, that's a good segue into our next segment. And so it was like a, a legendary uh, little club in, I think it was maybe Georgetown. So we booked a gig Self-proclaimed there. legendary yeah, club. Yeah, self-proclaimed legendary. So we booked a show there, but it was 21 and up. But, you know, we were we were told that, like, you know, we're in college. We're, we're probably 19, 20, not, probably 19. You know, that it had a built-in audience because it's such a cool club. Love that, the built-in audience. And so we showed up. We loaded in. We sound-checked. And then it's getting close to showtime. And I, I remember this awkward conversation with the with the manager, promoter, like, when are the when are the people getting here? And he's like, "Well, when, when are your fans arriving?" And we realized that we just we had one friend who um, looked over twenty one, and I think he was in line because we begged him to come because he wouldn't get carded. Anyway, we no one showed, no one showed for them, and we packed up and never played the show. So we just left. oh, you didn't even play the show. Didn't even play the show. I I blocked that one out. That was completely. really dark. <laughs> We were. I remember being so excited too. For those upcoming singer songwriters, for those upcoming artists and bands or whatever who want to know what it's like and want to get advice from jaded people like ourselves, I would say if anybody ever says to you, "We have a built-in audience," or 
it's, <laughs> yeah. it's great exposure. Tell them to go yep. fuck themselves and give you a thousand dollars. It's so true. It's true. It's never worth the like, exposure, and no one has a built-in audience. Built-in audience. It means we're not going to pay you. And anyone says that, they, ask yourself. We're going to convince you that people are going to be there. Ask yourself, when was the last time you wandered into a random bar in your city to see a local band at 7 o'clock on a Tuesday night? Well, and paid money. And paid money. Yeah, paid 20 bucks to see who's playing at the Grog and Tankard on a Tuesday night. <laughs> Does the Grog and Tankard still exist? It doesn't still exist, I surely. I don't know. I mean, you would think that this is the exact sort of thing that the pandemic is supposed to take out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Nancy is. Pelosi's gazpacho police. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it is permanently closed as of, um, oh my God, the Washington City paper, the Grog and Tankard, colon, where bands go to die. That's literally, <laughs> when you search for the Grog and Tankard, that is, that's it. Oh, shit. That's 2007. What? So wow. we really were ahead of that. Um, did, didn't we? We did actually play a successful show there, didn't we? We did, at like some a point? year later. Yeah, with our heads yeah. held high. And successful meaning like there were 20 people Maybe there. Maybe even 30, yeah. I think yeah. our fans... I also played a f- jammy free jazz show there as well, I remember. Again, who has ever paid yeah. to see a jammy free jazz show? <laughs> I remember opening for you guys and Ingrid Michaelson at the Greek Theater in Los Angeles. Something I dreamed of. A venue that I dreamed of, and I'd, I'd fantasized about this moment for months ahead. Like I was going to be playing the Greek theater. It was going to be dark. It was going to be pretty. It was going to be full. The lights were going to be glorious. So I was playing to moonlight, and I got on stage at 6 p.m., and it was broad daylight, <laughs> 95 degrees, and there was four or five people in the Greek <laughs> theater. <laughs> If it makes you feel any better, Greg, my memory of the show is that even when we went on, it was maybe a quarter full. <laughs> and then, of course, Ingrid plays, and it's perfect. But my God, I remember thinking like, ah, this is this is horrendous. I'm playing to the Greek th- <laughs> theater, and it feels like sound check. You're literally playing only. You're just playing to the Greek theater. No fans. Ugh. Just the theater. Amazing. It's a little different, but we played Red Rocks. The small room at Red Rocks by the bathroom. Uh, yeah, it's so true. <laughs> yeah, we used to say we played Red Rocks, and it was at a music festival. It was like an afternoon slot at the indoor thing. You, there were no rocks, um, and it was <laughs> far away from the theater itself. Yeah, it's like the concession stand with the bathroom where they had set up a stage. Yeah. Oh, I have another one, actually. That, that's all coming flooding See, back to go. me. You've unlocked. I played a, I played a festival in... Uh, I know, I just start crying. Um I played a festival in England once. It was my first festival, probably, you know, 2009, 2010. I think I just moved to New York and I went back for this festival on a couple of shows. I was playing like the, the cafe stage or something. It was under, under this tent and it was pretty big. It was probably like supposed to hold like five, 600 people. And uh, during my sound check, the guy, he didn't have a mic stand. The sound, the guy, like the technician, whatever you fucking call him. So he proceeds to try and strap a microphone to a plank of wood with duct tape. <laughs> this is in 2009, not 1909. He starts strapping a microphone to, to a plank of wood and then tries to duct tape the, the plank to the floor, to the floor. And I looked at him and even, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a diva or anything, but I looked at him and I was like, dude, <laughs> if you don't find me a mic stand, I'm not playing this fucking show. <laughs> And actually, there was a line of people outside to see me. It was a good attendance. And I was like, I'm not going to play this show with a piece of wood and a microphone strapped to it with duct tape, you moron. So anyway. <laughs> so what happened? He found me a, he found me a mic stand. 
That he did. And that's how you learned how to talk to crew. (laughs) (laughs) I believe I asked for a blue spot. I wasn't even asking for anything difficult. I was asking for a fucking. I mean, mic Greg, stand. why you just you 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 really demanded a mic stand, huh? Fucking asshole. Yeah, we almost had to do that a couple of weeks ago. That's true. We fr- we played a friend's wedding and and we showed up and there were no mic stands, no piano stand, no piano bench, and <laughs> no XLR cables and no patch cables. <laughs> also, no monitors, but a full drum kit. Uh, oh my god! Full drum kit. I was good to go. As a drummer, it's like, you know, what did they forget? Because there's like 25 fucking things. And I was like, guys, I'm ready to rock. <laughs> That's so good. Um, I think it's time for our next segment. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and... Uh, All right, hit it, Skinny B. Here we go. I wrote one good song. Took it straight to the top. I only wrote one good song. Then my band got dropped. This is One Hit Ponder. This is the first ever One Hit Ponder. Jesse, that's, that's, that song's a stunner. Thanks. It's really good. It's a little, it's a little close to home, man. I know. I realize that. <laughs> <laughs> True laughter. Um, All right. So what's your favorite One Hit Wonder, Greg? Mr. Holden, you got a what? favorite One Hit Wonder for us? Aside from your own. And I got a what? Like, what's your favorite band that has only written one good song? Two Bucks a Ghost. But what <laughs> Which song? song? Name one song of ours. Five bucks, you can't do it if you didn't write it. Uh, Sarah. Exactly. <laughs> playing. To the neon god they made. <laughs> you had a song called Post God that I really loved. Well, that's really nice, Greg. That's nice. Not yeah, a hit. Human. Not a hit. I remember. I do remember distinctly. I. I so vividly. I played you that song, and you looked at me, and you just dead serious went. You wrote that by yourself? <laughs> and I was like, Yeah. You're like, oh. oh. And then I saw you like walk it back. Like I saw you like be like, Oh no no no, it's it's great. I just that's great. I just it sounded like cool. Yeah, it's a good song. Sound like you got some help. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Jeez Louise, you wrote that by yourself. Ugh. Well, I only had like four chords in it. I was shocked. <laughs> All right, so you don't have a uh... what? What? Yeah, Jesse, you, you got to prepare me for this shit. I thought we sent we sent you an email. Yeah, but I didn't read it. <laughs> <laughs> We've been trying to figure out, you know, like do we ask our guests questions on the spot and let them think, you know, and go, hmm. Let's put you on the spot. Think of a one hit wonder. What's the one hit wonder you like? Yeah, on the oh, spot. God. Look, I'm while you're thinking, I'm gonna play. The one hit wonder, Vertical Horizon. The skin knees and the skid marks past the places where skid you marks. used to skid marks. Got the right things at exactly the right time, but he means nothing to you when you don't know why. Anyway, Vertical Horizon, if you're listening, that's your song. I don't know if you're a one hit wonder, but I don't know. Tommy, I don't know about it. I think this is a podcast. Should Uh, we start fighting? No, let's let's like Greg. Let's like Greg answer his thing. I mean, my Sharona is pretty good. I have no idea who that was. (laughs) That's the knack. The knack. That song is so good and so long. That is a fabulous song, and I feel like what people don't know. 
Anyhow, that's a great any more than that, we have to pay royalties. Well, I feel like what people don't know about that song is that it's it's like Freebird. It's like it's like seven minutes long, and it has all these different sections. But all you remember is the that you forget about that ripping guitar solo at the end. But that is such yeah. a good example. If I'm if I'm on on Spotify, it has two hundred and thirty four million plays, and the next biggest one has like four million, which is probably people being like, "Well, what other songs do they have?" Yeah, and also "Don't Worry, Be Happy." Wasn't that one hit one day? Bobby McFerrin, right? Yeah, I think he he had another one. Bobby McFerrin well, had another. He's one. He's got like a. I mean, that is. I think that would be defined as like a one hit. But he has such a like he has a robust career outside of that, right? Like I feel like he did his thing for a long time successfully, but just had one breakthrough. Does that count? I don't know. I don't know. We got it. Yeah, it's hard to figure out the boundaries. That counts. Here. It's a hard question to answer because the, the whole idea of a one-hit wonder is you kind of only know that song and not who they are. I mean, that come is true. On. That's a good point. Yeah, give me one other song by uh, Bobby McFerrin. Um, I, I do think he has another one, but I might be wrong. Judging by his uh, streaming numbers, it doesn't look... Words on the prophets are written on the subway wall. What? <laughs> him so (laughs) just for the listener what what jesse is playing (laughs) here (laughs) just for the listener what jesse is playing here is i think and he somehow found an acapella rendition of disturbs cover of this of simon and garfunkel's uh classic hit the sound of silence um which if you haven't heard disturbs cover of it check it out it's great mcferrin's follow-up single That's really good, Jess. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, well, we, I think this might be a good time to um, set Greg free. Yeah. I, I mean, you can. I what think does that mean? You have done your time. You have, have paid your dues here. Oh, but I want to stay. Well, also, Greg, you've got a new single coming out in April, I believe, right? I do, on April 1st, from finally releasing some new music. And it's a song called Humans about, well, it's a, po- it's a very depressing song. Did you worry about it coming out? <laughs> Did you worry about it coming out on April Fool's Day? Yeah, what I was going to do is actually post and say, hey guys, I don't have a new single this coming is, out today. Then we started... And then be like, When we started, joke, you, you talked about um, self-sabotage and your own career. So I think in carrying your tradition, you should definitely make people think you didn't release a song for the first time in two years. And you've got a new city. What's that? And you're in uh, Portland, Oregon? I am in Portland, Oregon now. I moved from Los Angeles in October. How are you feeling? Um, I feel great. Portland's awesome. It's beautiful. Look, I think we're going to officially end uh, episode two of of this um, terrible, terrible podcast called Famish. And we're going to play one more of your songs in full. I appreciate you having me, guys. This is a lot of fun. This song rules. You rule. We love you, dude. Thanks for being on our podcast. Thanks, man. I love you guys, too. I miss you all tremendously. Greg Holden, everyone. I've been selling my name For the sake of who knows I've been trying to explain How it's all gonna go I don't take my life For granted I've been waking up tight Day after day Hope is taking its time To go my way But I don't take my 
tight to what I've been handed than you Certain people will greet my name with a proud and mighty Boom! And one glorious day my songs will be played at an airport chili's too 